My name is John Edge Williams. This is the Coach and Flourish podcast. Today we have Katie Hurd, who is uh, who has been through uh, and is an ACC coach uh, at the ICF. You also have an impressive background in uh, global business uh, and and helping uh, global leaders. Uh, was it um, from Boeing and Unoco? Am I saying that right? <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, so it's actually Torre Industries. Yeah. And what you've done is uh, so based in Japan, but uh, you know you've done seminars across the US and Europe. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So I'm so curious. How did you get into that? Because it sounds like one of those dreams that you have. You know, when you're in middle school, they say, "What do you want to do in your life?" And you say, "I want to be an international business person," and then you are this person. How does that happen? Well, it's, <laughs> I was thinking today, how do I even tell this story? And it's the same challenge I always have, because um, I think I was like one of those people who was so into Sailor Moon and so into to the culture side of things. But then I also, my first part-time job in high school was helping out at a local university with their Japanese, um, I guess, summer study abroad students oh, that's so fun and so yeah, yeah. yeah it was like the best part-time so cool. job you could possibly have compared to like the other things I did like weeding gardens and watching you know watching babysitting was fun but but like to be able to show you know people who just come to the states around and be like this is America and take them like horseback riding and they would teach us how to fold origami and stuff and so it was it was just like that first really intense kind of intercultural experience for me with like not being able to really communicate with them because you know they had studied English for a long time but the spoken English um, in Japan the education here is not quite as advanced so they would have all this knowledge in their heads and now it was just a matter of trying to get it out mm-hmm. um, and so it was really interesting for me so I'd be like saying konnichiwa and trying a little bit of Japanese with them they'd be using English and just that cultural exchange of really I think leveled up my desire to live abroad and yeah. So I imagine you went into college and studied global studies and went into that path. Uh, and what, uh, yeah, what, what was the, what was the, the most surprising thing as you got your first, you know, into it and I guess you started yeah. your first jobs. So it, it actually, a lot of it, I see it so differently now that I'm a coach, like coaching has really broadened my horizons of my past a lot. Um, I had kind of a really big traumatic incident in my life when I was in high school that really had a, a deep effect on me. And it kind of made me feel like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Should I, do I still want to do this? And so my first year in college was also kind of very shaky start like oh is it the right thing to study Japanese am I going to want to work in Japan for the rest of my life and so I didn't really suddenly have confidence in myself for a lot of my university years but I was still doing such interesting things and just like you know what I'm just going to go with this I'm going to do my best and so I studied abroad in Japan for a year and got my first taste of like the good culture and also the culture that's a little bit more difficult to handle and came back and I was like, well, that's okay. I can still use Japanese in the States and trying, you know, more thinking about how to build my career in the States, but still use Japanese. Um, and it's really funny because now I teach my clients this type of stuff, like the, the cult, the stages of culture shock. And I was definitely in that state of like, I need to get out. I need to escape, um, at that point in my life. 
And now I've kind of worked through and I'm at the last stage, which is the adjustment stage of culture shock, where it's like Japan is home now. But at that time, I was so like, how am I going to make this career work? I graduated in 2008, which was also hard because my microeconomics professor, one of the things he said in class, because most of the my classmates were freshmen, was you guys are really lucky none of you are seniors because you don't want to be looking for a job right now. And I was like, hey, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> um, so it, it was kind of like oh one gosh. of those things of fate because I just had a really hard time finding a job. I actually went to university. Um, not, I think you guys are based in Portland. Is that right? We, we were in Portland for a decade. And then uh, we took a 15-month RV trip around the U.S., just cool and now we're in hood river so about we're about an hour east okay yeah Yeah. all right well i went to school for three of the four years in forest grove okay so yeah so not far um and then i came back after teaching english a couple years in japan uh, and i was working here in portland and during that time i met my husband who is japanese so it was kind of like I came back as like, I'm done with Japan. I'm going to try to use Japanese in a job because that's my specialty in this international skill set. And um, met my husband who had to go back to Japan to complete his degree anyway. So now I came back and through a long series of events, um, we're very happily settled here. We have our little son. Um, we, oh, I, I bought this house, actually. I'm really proud. Oh, congrats. Um, so, so you can't yeah, get away from Japan. No, I can't. Japan got I'm you. Stuck here. They, they <laughs> brought you there. So yeah. that's amazing. That's I mean, and that's us. Uh, so you know, even in your bio, uh, it, as a bilingual cross-cultural transition coach, which totally get like the value in that because it is like cultures are shocking. Like when you find yourself in different places, what are and you've been in both. When you come back to the U.S. What's that like? You, there's definitely reverse culture shock there. And I think a lot of people have similar experiences with that, especially when you think you're moving back for good. Like the first right. month, you're so happy. Like just seeing Mount Rainier on the drive towards my dad's house was like, home. Cool. Oh, like that view yeah, yeah. Um, was just amazing. And then just like going to the supermarket and driving a car on like the big wide roads. And it just, it feels very free. Um, you know, there's other things that you're kind of like, oh, that's different um, as well. But after like a month or two, I think a lot of people just start to miss Japan a lot um, in different ways. So, yeah, it, it's funny. Like, and I think the best part about the States when you're coming back is is the social aspect for me. Um, because society here is just so, socializing here is so different compared with in the States. Um, in the States, it's I think it's more of like, oh, you're my colleague, you're my high school friend, you're my uh, colleague, you know, anyone can come and join a party or have a barbecue or something. And I don't think people tend to be like, oh, who's going to be there? And like, how's that going to go? And how long is it? And when do I show up? And it's more just like, you can show up whenever anyone can come. It's more relaxed. Um, Whereas here, it's very um, group oriented. So if my husband goes out with like a bunch of friends from university, I would never expect to go. And he probably wouldn't ask me in the first place. So there was quite a bit of friction when I first came back because we had met in the States and he's so international. Um, and then suddenly he got into this job working in a very traditional Japanese company. And it's almost like he changed into a Japanese salary man overnight. Wow. So like that was also like, whoa, what is going on? Where did my husband go? Or where did he's my boyfriend at that time? What is going on? Like, 
on the other hand, suddenly he understood me a lot more because he was in his fourth year university when we came back and I was working at a Japanese company and complaining to him quite a bit. So once he started working, suddenly he could see everything that I was experiencing and understand it. But now he was in the thick of it as well and adjusting himself to that first job in a really traditional Japanese company. So it was almost like then I was guiding him and also being like, stop complaining. You never listened to me when I complained. Like, don't you remember? <laughs> right. Yeah. This yeah. is how it goes. Wow. That's am- so I, I'm also curious because we train people from all over and I've been to, I've given talks, uh, you know, a handful of places like, you know, most recently it was in India and that was wildly different from the U S and coming mm-hmm. back from India after two weeks. I mean, I just felt it. Uh, but I'm also curious when you're coaching, it feels like once you get through a crust of culture, people are surprisingly similar, uh, mm-hmm. but not always. What are your thoughts on that? The differences in coaching people from, you know, us, Japanese, like what, what do you find? So I'm, I have to say, I'm really lucky to have the cross-cultural background because I actually coach people from all over the world. Um, many of my clients are actually American, but I also have coached people from Europe, places all over Europe, um, India, some, a lot of places in Asia. Um, yeah. So, so everyone is different. There's also like the language, um, barrier in some senses because even when people can speak really high level english sometimes if we're doing it over you know zoom for example it can be a bit more difficult so those clients all tend to try and meet in person although it has been a bit tricky this year because of covid um but we'll try and like meet up outdoors and keep our distance just so that we have that connection um so but yeah for japanese clients i actually attended an icf local chapter meeting recently and one of the things someone said as a Japanese person being coached is that American coaches can tend to talk too much so they're like this is my time you need to be quiet and just ask the questions and so I thought that was a really interesting observation I haven't actually coached that many Japanese people yet I've coached a couple Japanese clients um, in English and you know mixing in Japanese as we go but my impression is that a lot of Japanese people don't know what coaching is um so you need a little bit more explanation in the first session to really clarify the boundaries and what the alliance is going to be like. And so that they, otherwise they can tend to want to get it right. There's a lot of, it's really funny. A lot of my clients, actually, when we do the Enneagram, they will say that earlier in their life, before they moved to Japan, they were a different type, but after working in Japanese companies and working in Japan, they've become a type one. That's so, my impression of, of, you know, of the culture in the very limited contact I've had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, but always, um, we've had a couple of participants to go through and they have been the most precise, polite, kind, extremely, yeah, wanting to get it right on their you know, certification application, for instance. And it's like, well, you can write whatever you want. Uh, I imagine there's a, there's a conversation of, well, it's your show. You can, you can answer however you want to answer this. Kind of mm-hmm. um, that makes sense that makes sense uh what where do you see the state of of the coaching field in japan compared to yeah that? so um so so i've been talking to a ton of people recently i've connected to like 30 different coaches i think in tokyo now just trying to figure out what a coaching you know 
business is going to look like here. Um, as I, this, my goal this year is actually to reach out to more Japanese clients and to work with more Japanese clients. I've got three peer coaching sessions set up next week to start working with Japanese coaches. Um, I'll be coaching them in Japanese and they'll be coaching me in English so they can practice and I can practice. So it's a great relationship. Um, but that should get me really, really confident coaching in Japanese. But I've heard that the business here is kind of like maybe 10 years behind what it is in the States and maybe some other countries. Um, so it's still really building here. There's not a lot of coaches. I remember when I was first looking at registered coaches on the ICF website for Japan, only like, I don't know if I had filtered it to ACC or PCC or what, but only like a hundred some people came up coaches. So it's still really early on. Um, but I feel like the demand is growing and growing. And so one thing I always say when I meet other coaches is like, we have to connect, we have to build awareness because that's the most important thing right now. If we can get more awareness, more people will reach out for coaching because they'll see how valuable it is. Um, and I think that that can bring a lot of growth. So it's a really great time to actually be starting a coaching business in Japan, especially if you can speak Japanese as well. Right. I mean, I think I, I was surprised I was in, I had a couple of talks in Switzerland in May, May of 2019. Time is weird. You know, it's like odd. What was that time warp zone? That was before we, we could travel and meet people in person. And I was surprised in Switzerland. I thought the coaching field would be more advanced than what it was. Mm -hmm. um, they knew about it, but it, it, it did feel like the U S 10 years, maybe even 15 years in the past. Uh, I'm not surprised that Japan's in the same similar ballpark, but to me, it feels like that's just a huge opportunity. Uh, we know that coaching works. Mm -hmm. it, what's, I imagine those ICF meetings are electric, that there's a sense that we're on the tip of something big and we need to share it. Um, what? Yeah. I imagine there's excitement. Anyway. So imagine there's an excitement there with, with what you're up to. Uh, where do you, like you, you, in your journey, like, you know, two, three years from now, where do you see your coaching career going? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's so hard to read. Um, I think between having the cross-cultural background and my HR background and now having this ACC credential, right. there's just, and I've been networking like crazy. I've also been doing a lot of the stuff that I think new coaches do regardless of what niche they're in, which is, you know, posting on Instagram and doing Instagram lives and I'm starting a YouTube channel and doing all these types of things. Whereas normally I think I would go to a lot of networking events, but there's just not a lot going on this year due to, to COVID unfortunately. But because I'm doing kind of a bit of everything and seeing what's working and what's not working and seeing things come in, I'm just seeing so much opportunity. Like there's so much opportunity doing individual coaching, doing coaching. Um, I originally wanted to help people because I, I mean, I haven't talked about it much, but I've struggled so much in like this past 15 years of moving back here three times, or moving back here twice. I've moved here three times um, and going through that again, that feeling of kind of losing your family and having to rebuild a network of people and, adjusting to, to really challenging jobs that I've had and, and, you know, being, being able to work with such a variety of people. And so I know that that's not an experience that's, you know, just my unique experience. I know a lot of people are probably going through similar things and yet 
a lot of them maybe don't have that support. If you come here and you start a Japanese company and some of them, you might be working like 70 hours a week or more, you don't have a lot of time to meet other people. So it can be quite isolating.、Um, and that's true whether you work in a Japanese company, like a, an organization, or if you're like coming over as an English teacher in some cases. So, like in that terms of that support and also helping people figure out where they want to go in their career so that they can get through the hard times, I think there's so much potential there and so much value in that service. On the other hand, a lot of the people I'm working with now are actually、um, not even in Japan yet. Or who lived here in the past and want to move back and they're really excited about it, have been reaching out to me and like, help me move to Japan. Like, let's make this happen. Such a need. So, yeah. There's so such a need for what you're describing.、Yeah. Um, and I heard,、um, I've worked with a couple of coaches in Dubai who are expats and they talk about not belonging anywhere. Like, they don't really belong in.、Mm-hmm. The new country, they don't belong in their old country, and their their little ones don't feel like they belong.、Uh, what impact does that have on you? Have a little one. What impact does that have on your little one? But it's been slightly different because you're there, you're、mm-hmm. in Japan. Well, what's that like? Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of third culture kid. Well, in my son's、right. case, you know, he's half Japanese, so he can really. Identify with his Japanese side, but there's also some people who come and live here who have no Japanese, you know, blood connection, and their children are raised here. And basically, they're like Japanese, but Japanese people are never going to see them as being Japanese because it's such, it's still quite a homogenous society. And I think that's one of the big changes that's coming is that, you know, Japanese society is aging. They're going to have to embrace having more foreign support.、Um, To you know, do elderly care. And it, just as a society, there's not going to be enough the equivalent of social security here to pay for the elderly in the future, the way that the population is declining. And so the government's trying all sorts of things, but it,、wow. I think it's going to change a lot. And that you know, society as a whole is going to change a lot because of that. They, they need to have more foreign support, basically. So I think the population over time is going to. The, the foreign population is going to increase dramatically, is what I see coming, which、wow. I think could be a good thing in terms of being more accepting. But I feel like we're really lucky the time that we are now. I see some、um, other wives of Japanese who had their children like 20, 30 years ago. And it sounds like it was very different in a lot of cases back then to where it is now. So I'm really grateful for that. I've heard there's a softening around that happening. And you just see it, there's a softening、uh, in a lot of these cultures and a mixing of people because of the internet.、Mm-hmm. So, yeah, culture is now more fluid than ever、mm-hmm. in really positive ways. There's more understanding happening.、Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, what was your uh, going to my usual question list? Uh, <laughs> what w a s some of your favorite exercises? Uh, uh in, for coaching. Yeah.、Uh, I, always, I, already, I always go straight to,、um, well, there's actually two, I guess.、Um, one that I learned in coach training was the future self. And I think、mm-hmm. I have a special, there's a special place for that one in my heart because the first time I did it, I was so resistant to it.、Um, and I was、cool. just like, I don't see anything. <laughs> or like, what does、right. it matter? What I'm, you know, I wanted to judge、yeah. it so hard. And、cool. I think it was also like where I was in my life. I was nine months postpartum. I was exhausted. I was breastfeeding all the time. And like this, the class that I took was from 11 to 1 a.m. But that was like the time I was like, well, my husband's working during the day. 
during the day I have to take care of my child and he's sleeping then. So that's the perfect time. So I was just like about six weeks in was when I finally realized I needed to take a nap on those days so that I could be a hundred percent present and really get the most value. But anyway, that was one of the first exercises I think we did early on. And I was so hard on myself during that exercise. And now, so whenever I do that with clients, I always tell them about the first time I did it and how it's okay, but try to open yourself and don't judge the exercise and just let it go. And um, now I love it. I think it's, it can be a life-changing tool for a lot of people. Um, another one I use recently is one I created myself and that's using a positive psychology model because a lot of people do, um, they have these ideas that if they come to Japan, their life is going to be perfect or magically better, or so exciting and fun. Um, and a lot of people have the opposite that if they leave Japan, everything will magically get better. And so I use that exercise so that they can think like, to what level did you have positive emotion? How engaged were you in your life? And, and they can kind of rate themselves in both countries, imagining and to what degree are you being falsely optimistic versus, you know, pessimistic about your current situation or something like that. So they can really think through, is it going to change? And a lot of times what they do get out of that exercise, they're like, no, it's all about my mindset. I just wanted to be happier there. And so that's such that's a cool. great realization for a lot of people, I think. That's cool. Uh, if your future self were filling out a perma wheel, Mm -hmm. what would she do? What would be the, what would be the biggest difference or the biggest pop off that perma mm. wheel? I don't know. I think I would love to be the same as I am now. I'm like so fulfilled in what I do. And so like when I see my future self, I do, I always do Hawaii because we got married in Hawaii. We've been to Hawaii several times. That's like our kind yeah. of unofficial meetup with family spot now. And so like every time we go there, things slow down, it's beautiful weather. We get to eat all the food that we can, you know, we can't eat quite as easily here in Japan. And so I just see myself in a big house or like even like a small house, doesn't matter, looking over the ocean, huge mountain view somewhere in the neighborhood, like doing maybe still coaching and, uh, you know, enjoying awesome. life, local friends, having people come visit us in Hawaii or it doesn't have to be Hawaii. It could be Okinawa, you know? That's awesome. So what advice would you have for someone just starting out in their coach training, their coach journey? Yeah, this is one of the hard ones for me because I think in my life and in my personality, I tend to want to be like, I'm going to give you all the details and give you all the secrets. And then you don't have to go through the struggles that I had. And the reality is there's, there's no way you can a hundred percent, even if you give people all of the information they need kind of starting out it's it's not they still have to work through those mindsets and those struggles and those steps by step um one by one but i think the biggest one is just kind of trusting in yourself and showing up consistently and you know just keep keep at it you'll get there it's it's really hard i think in the beginning um i have a lot of type one in me as well and i think i was always trying to do it right and at some point I was just like, I'm, I'm not going to be perfect at this and no one's perfect and we're all human and we have the same human brain. And so all you can do is practice and practice and see what you're doing wrong and see what you're doing right. And how can you do more things right? And how can you improve the things you're doing wrong? Um, and just be kind to yourself and 
show up for your clients and trust the process uh, and you'll get there. Right on. When, when did you release that? When, and what happened like after you released the feeling of having to try to get it right? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> I scheduled a lot more sessions, I think. That was, I think, when I started really scheduling more and kind of putting myself out there a lot more. Um, there was actually a period that I didn't coach for like three months after I finished my the first part of my program. And I think it was like I was on maternity leave and my husband had to go abroad for a month. So we went with him. And then I was kind of like, I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to be the perfect mom. I'm trying to do this coaching thing. And I just needed to release myself. And then after that three months, I came back and I kind of, I had my mentor coaching class, which was a really great way to get back into things, to have that support. So that also helped me to be like, Ooh, I want to do more of this and I want to get better at this. Um, So, so yeah. So I think that was about the point when I was like, ah, and I think someone actually said that in a mentor coaching session, like the most important thing, trust yourself trust the client, trust the process and just do it kind of thing. The three trusts. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so much happens when a coach releases trying to solve it or trying Mm -hmm. to find some, trying to make each session feel like uh, there, there needs to be a tangible outcome that necessitates the, you know, them signing up to be coached. Mm-hmm. This decision is so like I mean, what we came up with is so valuable that obviously coaching is really useful, right? Like there's mm-hmm. this need to try to prove the usefulness of coaching. Mm-hmm. It took me two years to release that, but it seems like the program is built to really help people release that as quickly as possible. And a lot of things open up. Mm-hmm. What do you find yourself when you're working with a client? What what do you find yourself trying to do instead? Yeah. Um, again, like trust the process. Like mm-hmm. I, I always say that to clients as well. I never say this is the result you're going to get by the end of it, this, but I will say we can aim towards a result and see what, how many steps we can right. take in this process. Um, but yeah, I think that has been a game changer in terms of people coming to me who say, like, what is, what can I expect? I'm like, what do you want to get out of this? Or what do you want to create? Um, And kind of putting the responsibility back on the client, like, this is your space, and this is your time. And what do you want to use it for? Um, Has been a a big, you know, game changer for me, rather than like, oh, by the end of this, you have changed your job. But the crazy thing is, that happens a lot. I know, right? Um, I know. It's even the best. Like when you release so, it, it happens quicker. It's the, the yeah. weirdest, weirdest flip-flop you can experience as a coach. Yeah. yeah. I had one client, I worked with her for like three weeks and the first session she thought she was, she kind of was in the mindset that she was going to lose her job. Um, she had had a bad performance review and her boss wasn't even actually Japanese, but he was from another high context, which means very indirect uh, culture. And so I was like, mm, okay, I see some similarities there. And so we kind of walked through like the cultural aspects and, and how she's, we basically, she came to the realization that she was afraid of her boss. And that's why she wasn't showing up when she was in a room with him and she wasn't showing herself as she actually is. And so he could see, I'm sure that she's very competent, but he was kind of taking advantage of that from a cultural standpoint. Probably someone did that to him in the past. 
Um, and around three weeks in, she sent me an email saying I was just offered a promotion to director from that boss. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> like nobody right. comes in expecting that kind of thing. And I don't think that's a realistic expectation to necessarily have, especially in Japan, but <laughs> like she was about to quit her job. She thought she was getting fired. And three weeks later, she's got this huge promotion and, wow. you know, yeah. Or at least the, the offer, you know, it's, it's crazy. You know, it is, it is a little wild when you look at, you know, you know, coaching stories that things happen that you can't predict because it's almost like people are so tied up in trying to solve like a little local problem. Mm-hmm. But what coaching really does is it gets to a larger, all-encompassing problem. And when that starts to shift, mo- like it's like tectonic plates, monu- like monumental things happen uh, that you can't really predict. Totally yeah. get that. Uh, as a, yeah, I've seen it. Um, I just had a conversation with a client I'm working with, creating demos uh, for the executive program. He's a CFO, and he just came. With, he gave me some some updates today, and. It's mind blowing. I can't, I want to save it for the demos, but it's, it's amazing to see how this process works. So and you're, you're also very much in the executive space. What, where do you see, like, like to what degree are these coaching concepts making it into the usual way of doing business? Yeah. Um, so I think that's also like my, my ultimate goal is to get a bit more into the exe- in executive coaching in the future. I've actually worked with executives directly in HR in the past. So like I have that experience, but most of the people I've been working up until now are in, you know, various fields in, you know, various industries in Japan. Um, some of them are middle managers though. And so that's been really interesting um, seeing kind of what struggles they are having coming to Japan and only having worked for like a year or two. And so that that's like the one side is helping individuals. But then on the other hand, I feel like coaching what I'm seeing more and more in Japan as it's expanding is the idea of training leaders to be coaches. Like you shouldn't like leader and coach should be synonymous kind of Mm -hmm. in business. And I think especially in cultures like Japan, that is so important. Um, One thing I talk a lot about is power harassment. I have been power harassed like three times now, like pretty serious power harassment. My husband was power harassed a couple times in his jobs as well. And so it's like, I don't want to say it's the culture, but part of the culture can create that expectation because it's, it's that um, seniority system that you shouldn't really be questioning the people above you. And that if you are pushing back too much or putting out too many ideas, you could be seen as kind of, um, you know, affecting the face of the people above you. And so that can, that kind of power, struggle can can really create some problems and so if people were trained like oh you are this way this is the type of leader you are because you were treated that way and so your brain has wired to think that what you're doing is just normal behavior when in reality this is really toxic and bad for companies to have people that are leading this way or that are in management and doing these things right and i think it is slowly slowly changing um this is very much also in linked with the fact that in Japan, it's very hard to lay people off. Whereas in the States, I think it's much easier if people are treating people badly and it's not improving. 
it's a bit easier to, you know, cut people. And here yeah. it's just really, really difficult to do that. Um, so it's those two factors, I think, make it so that these people just keep going up and up and keep power crossing. And so the potential there is they could be power crossing hundreds of thousands of people throughout their career. Wow. And then in turn, those people could be coming, could be becoming very bitter and unhappy. And when they get into management, they may be like, I don't care anymore. I'm going to treat you the same because if I can survive it, obviously you can. Um, and so that's, that's really hard. So I feel like coaching, there's just so much potential to change that. If, if you see this happening, you don't have to lay them off, but you could force them to go into performance improvement program where they have to learn to coach for six months. And then that could change. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, can you imagine how that would change if they learned? Forced coach learning. <laughs> Forced coaching. Like, Forced coach but training. Can you imagine though, when, when you've been power harassed by someone and showing up to work one day, when they, they ask you questions about how you are and what you think and, and are trying to get your, your buy-in for an idea instead of just yelling at you or saying, why do you even talk? Or, you know, these really negative things that tend to happen. Um, and again, I don't want to say it's just Japan. It's definitely not just Japan. I'm sure that happens around the world, but it is a big problem here. So, well, it was interesting is so I run an organization with the Moist. And so we're, you know, we have a, you know, a staff of 10 full time people and 12 contractors, right, around the world. But we've never been in corporations. I was a Latin teacher and I started this and just built it up just thing after thing. But I have worked with a number of executives and some of the things I've heard are insane. Mm. Uh, what is this? Like, this is the weirdest, most convoluted situation I've ever heard. And it seems like, unfortunately, that's pretty normal in a lot of these organizations, especially the higher up you go, the odder the situations can get. Uh, how are you... I mean, more from like just a marketing standpoint and, and tr you know, I, I'm always interested in this idea of a coaching as a movement and mm -hmm. it seems ripe for that. And a lot of the work that you're doing, and it seems like you're in the, the spot to bring more empathy and caring into this, into these spaces. How does that show up in the, in your messaging to these companies or how you're attracting clients? Yeah. Um, so on a, at, a, an, an, at an individual level, um, right. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot about just a variety of things at once. Like if, for example, you wanted to start a business, a business in like yoga, for example, everyone knows what that is. They know the value. They know what it is. Or massage, for example. Um, if you're a masseuse, everyone knows it feels good to get a massage and um, you don't really have to educate. And so with coaching, it's kind of this interesting place where you're educating but trying not to do it in a way that is like too much um, because you don't want people to think you're like over educating as a way of compensating for something or I don't know how to explain that but on this at the same time you're also trying to communicate the value and how valuable it is and the fact that it's not therapy and I think there can sometimes be a stigma there um, and also your personal value like what are you bringing to the table what kind of experience qualifications etc that you have and so those are just like, you know, the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things that you have to communicate, whereas a masseuse could just, you know, advertise and, and maybe post some client testimonials. Oh, yes, yeah, she did a great job, great personality or good to be around or, or that kind of thing. And I don't want to say it's simple because business, I don't think is ever simple, but it is it can be really challenging. And so it's definitely been a process kind of learning 
how to do that um, and putting myself out there. And also I think in the end, it's all about being authentic. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing. If you're authentic, it, it goes a long way and communicating what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that really answers the question. It's, I'm always curious because it feels like, you know, a lot of what the work that we're doing in corporations, like a lot of the bigger projects that we're doing with, with some of these organizations is it's, it's as much of trying to have a culture shift in the organization than it is to work with any one individual. And Mm, it seems mm -hmm. like these culture shifts, you know, having worked with a number of these, you know, number of different places, some organizations have a culture where they embrace growth mindset where there is an openness to uh, asking for help, where people do have um, an, uh, an openness is the only mm-hmm. way I can describe it. And then other, yeah. other places, it's not that way. It feels like, well, I don't want to share because my supervisor's in my same coach training. And if I share, then that's not going to be uncomfortable. And I don't want that. You know, so it seems like the other cultures, mm-hmm. it's not, there's unsafety happening. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think it, it ties in with the Japanese, I don't want to say the Japanese culture again, but, but it is a culture of like, you don't ask, you know, um, read the air. This is the synonymous to being socially awkward. Someone who cannot read the air is socially awkward and nobody wants to be socially awkward. You should always fit within the group. You should always, you know, the, the nail that sticks out shall be hammered down. Um, it's such a culture of, you know, don't offend the boss and do what the group wants and keep the peace. The law is so important here. And so traditionally that's the way it's been. And so it's, it's just so hard to change if you don't change from the top. Um, and so that's why, you know, working with a coach or, or teaching coaching to leaders, requiring that as part of their promotion system, which is kind of what I did at my previous job at Coray, um, where we would do like intercultural right. communication training. But I think at such a b- much bigger <laughs> level, like one time is not enough. Like having a to... two week training and not being able to work that whole time and getting stressed out and half focusing while you have tried to do your work on the side after attending these full day lectures and then having no training for the next however many years, it's not enough. Like it has to be wow. regular the way that coaching is so that it right. really gets into people's brains and they can raise that self-awareness and figure out how they can bring that self-awareness to their day-to-day so that it can really make effective change. And then you have to deal with loud, exuberant Americans who come in and <laughs> deal with that. Like, I'm sure there's a whole category that they would put people like me. If I ever went to Japan and gave a talk, they would put me in. Uh, it'd be interesting. Um, wow. How can people, uh, so we're going to put this on our blog. We're going to put it out there, all of our channels and resources. How can people find you? What's the, what's the way that people can get in contact with you? Yeah, there's a few different ways. Um, so I have a webpage, which is www.homeinjapan.com. I just started a YouTube channel, which the link is just like a bunch of letters at the end. So, um, I mean, I could send it to you or... If you search we'll on YouTube, on hopefully it'll come up. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll have links on there. Yeah, yeah. So what yeah. your cha- what's your channel about? What's the, what's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I literally just started it. I put out my first video like last night that I have just been like 
trying to edit and then retake and then edit and then retake for the longest time because it is such a process learning to record yourself um, with like your face and talking and, and get it looking natural. But um, I just went ahead and put the first video up and I think I'm going to make a post about it on Instagram that, you know, you just have to take that first step and get it out there. Um, but the first one is just a very simple uh, one about transition coaching. But going forward, I want to talk a lot about my experience in Japan, working in English teaching, working in Japanese corporations, working in uh, foreign corporations. I worked in two different Japanese corporations at like the corporate level and the cultures were entirely different, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So talking about that, how you know, there's culture, but there's also like the organizational culture and then your department culture, um, your team culture. Um, and also like studying Japanese. I think a lot of people are interested. They hear that I have the highest level of the Japanese language placement test. And they're like, that's impossible. How did you do that? And it's like, the thing is, it's, it's not impossible because if you've seen someone else doing it out there, it means it is possible and you can do it too, right? So I think that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And also the fact that just having that JLPT N1 does not make it easy. Like I had the JLPT N1 when I got my job at Toré and <clears throat> it was still really hard, you know, learning a new job and doing these management training programs for two weeks and standing up every day and speaking in front of people. Um, I found so much energy from getting to meet you know, management from all over the globe, um, but also hearing what they had to say about having a Japanese headquarters versus the last company I worked at had an American headquarters. We were located in Japan and we were starting up offices in APAC. So it was like wow. three different layers of culture just in terms of the nationalities, plus the organizational culture, plus the culture in Europe. Um, is is really wild. a lot of mental gymnastics being in middle management in that company um in such wow. yeah <laughs> i can just yeah. imagine the 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 degree of complexity of misunderstandings is probably astounding yeah yeah especially given language barriers on top of it and time zone differences and all of it it's a pretty wild thing well okay that's that sounds like a an amazing field, a very, I mean, a, ri a rich, fulfilling field and growing too, because the world's not stopping. Mm. We're, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're not slowing down our connections with each other. It's only, I think, uh, you know, if you look historically after pandemics, there is a flourishing afterwards that happens mm -hmm. because people are forced to do something differently. And then when the restrictions are eased and we can go back, I mean, it's mm. just, it's almost like we now, we've seen what it's like to live more remote. It's going to be integrated into everything that we're doing. I yeah. imagine your work is just going to become more and more important as the years tick by. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a really fortunate time to get to do what I do. Um, and I think I was talking to another coach uh, a few weeks ago, and she said as well, like this is this is the time to work in coaching, and especially with corporations, because I think so many corporations have realized how crucial, you know, well-being trainings and this type of thing is and how they really, if they haven't been doing it up until now, they need to get on it because when things like this happen, everything shuts down. And especially Japan, um, I don't know if you've heard about the stamp culture here, like everything has to be stamped. When organizations and just going to the city office and filling out papers, if you don't have the right stamp that's been registered, you can't get anything done. And you can't live like that during a pandemic. It's not, you know, responsible to have people coming in to fill out paperwork when it could be done this day and age right. um 
through email or something. So I think Japan as well has been like, what are we going to do about stamp culture? And if we don't need the stamp culture, what else don't we need? Right, right. Things are shaking uh, up a little bit. Uh, Kate, it's a pleasure to, I'm I'm thinking in my head, I know Moises (laughs) is going to want to go to Japan. She was telling me, she's like, oh, you're going to talk to someone from Japan today. Uh, It's been on our list of places that we've always wanted to visit. So we will definitely be in contact if we're over there once these restrictions lift. And it's been on my list. There there was a, we were going to do a program in Singapore uh, for a little bit and that COVID happened. but getting deeper into Asia has always, it's been on our roadmap and uh, I have a feeling next five years we'll make it over there. Awesome, we'll look forward to seeing you when you come. It'd be fun to be there. Uh, and thank you all of uh, listening live and those listening uh, to our recording the podcast. Uh, my name is John. This is a interview with Katie Hurd. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for being here and part of the Coaching of Flourish podcast. And thank you everyone. I'll see you next week. <laughs>